This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello there, listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm very happy to be joined by my good friend and co-host Sam. And today we are continuing our adventure in the world of investing, in the world of money. And we have just finished, or maybe half finished, <laughs> one of the most important books on the concept of value investing, which is called The Intelligent Investor, authored by Benjamin Graham. The book was first published in 1949, and we read the 1973 revised edition. So it's already pretty lindy, I would say, as far as investment books go. Uh, and maybe before we continue, I should apologize myself. I'm quite sick. I have like something in my throat. So if I sound weird, that's why. And you then always Sam, sound weird. <laughs> and yeah, thanks, man. And I'd like to say Sam I'm, I'm is pumped weird. to be here, but I am also wired because I haven't eaten since Friday and it's Sunday. And basically about 40 hours of no food, uh, which is great. I almost fainted yesterday. Yeah. I had a bath, got out the bath. Really? And like, you know, when you sort of have been sitting down, you stand up too quickly, you nearly faint. It was the opposite of that. Yeah. Stood up, was fine. Cleaning my teeth. Just slowly got like weaker and weaker. It was like, I can't handle this. Just had to lie down for five minutes. And <laughs> it was like, really? just lay on the floor of the bathroom. Like, oh God, what's going on? The room is spinning so much. <laughs> my body is just, it's just left me. And then I was like, okay, Interesting. went to bed. Yeah. Okay. Haven't had so that before, uh, if suddenly I ask Sam too hard of a question and he suddenly doesn't answer, then he just fainted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the spot, too much pressure. Whoa. <laughs> exactly. All right, but maybe let's uh, let's get into the book. And so um, one of the most decorated or maybe the most decorated investor of all time, or at least today, is called Warren Buffett. And so the book that we were reading, so The Intelligent Investor, was the book that actually inspired him. And he considers it by far the best book on investing ever written. And so very basically, the book teaches readers strategies on how to successfully use value investing in the stock markets. So before we go into what we took away, Sam, what are your first thoughts? How do you like the book? Were you able to finish it? You can be honest. <laughs> I did space. not finish it <laughs> because we were listening to it and it was a long book and yeah. just kind of dense when this happens in the market, you should do this and this other thing will happen and then you do this. And I'm like, I'm, I've forgotten which market was that. What were you talking about? When, who, what? Mm. And it just wasn't so listenable. But when they were talking a bit more about just general principles, that part all made mm. sense. And yes, reading through like notes and things of what it's all about, I'm like, yeah, this is totally legit. This is the kind of advice <laughs> that you hear and you give to people. And when you don't follow these rules, you're basically just being silly and not setting yourself mm. up for success. And yeah, it's a good book. Well, it's a good set of rules. Just uh, yeah, it's a good I point. I think it's better as, as a book for the going in depth into like how they actually do it. It's just easier to read and like make notes and things. Mm. Yeah, you're right. So it, it's a combination of like general heuristics and sets of mm. rules and general principles you need to follow when investing. But there's also a large part where he does a lot of comparisons between companies or talks about, you know, the market situation in the early 70s, because that was like 20 years before we were born. It's not very relevant. Mm. And I think indeed, if you're like super, super, super into this stuff, it's probably a lot to learn there. 
but I think for me, the main principles are what kept, like what I still remember. Um, he does some like company comparisons and I don't really remember those too much, mm. uh, actually. Yeah, that's where I fell, fell off. <laughs> yep, but. no, it's fair. So yeah, I, I managed to finish the book, but it's, it's, I mean, definitely not easy, right? So there's the really good principles, the strong principles. And I feel, because I, I, it's the second time I, I was reading it and I liked it less now than I did first time, just because I think reading up on investing afterwards only reinforced the same principles in my head. And so it was almost like kind of self-evident. And for me, it's really like the name of the book is very correct. It's like the intelligent investor is literally like a very rational approach to this thing called stock investing. I would say investing in the market because like the book doesn't really talk about other types of investments, which actually it probably doesn't even consider something like, I don't know, art or mm. commodities like investments, really. Um, yeah, or guitars, cars, those kind of things that kind of yeah, go exactly. up in value. Just, yeah, exactly. Um, but then, yeah, let, let's get into it. So there are three fundamental pillars that the book talks around and bases its points in its fundamental points around. So the first is value investing. Um, the second is Mr. Market. And the third is how to determine value. And so basically value investing, uh, if you ask investors like what kind of investor investor they are, chances are that they'll say like, I'm a value investor. And so value investing is an investment strategy that targets undervalued stocks of companies that have the core fundamental capabilities to perform well in the long run. And so, yeah, it all ties together, but that's why it refers to Mr. Market. He considers the market, like, or Graham describes, like you should think about the market as a person who has wild mood swings, who passes by your house every day and gives you a bunch of quotes on the assets that you have or might want to have. So basically he comes to your door, he knocks on the door and he says, okay, hey, for today for this stock, I'm willing to sell you uh, or buy for this price. This stock I'm willing to sell or buy for this price, etc. Mostly those prices are like plausible, but very sometimes they're like wildly inaccurate. And so the book focuses on taking advantage on the very bad decision-making or the very bad mood swings of Mr. Market. And so the whole principle of the book is calculate the intrinsic value of a stock. And if Mr. Market offers it to you at a way too cheap price, then you should buy. That's basically it. Hmm. Did you take that away too? Am I explaining that well? Yeah, I think so. Basically, the, the premise of try and look at like the actual fundamentals of the business work out if it's making good money and it's probably going to carry on making money in the future exactly and yeah what the actual value of the stock is based on its sort of turnover and what it should be valued at mm -hmm. which yeah most people don't bother to do because it takes time yeah. and yeah you have to like look around and work out what makes sense of what it's doing and you know like read the whole if something like listing on the stock market, like reading the full S1 of like the 200 page document of what it thinks about the entire market, how it's making its money in the market, where it's different revenues going to come from in the future. And it takes time to really understand a market that you're actually investing in for a single company and what the mm -hmm. company is doing and why it's actually going to do better or not. So it's really interesting how some companies IPO and then just go down and down and never like reach the same price that they had when they started and others just go mm. up and up and up. And yeah trying to follow the right principles is generally going to make you win in the long run. But 
there's still, I mean, chance, which is why you have to invest into quite a few things. And I guess mm. I go into that later being like, actually, you probably don't have the time to do all this. And basically you should just invest in index funds and you own like a percentage yeah. of everything, which yeah, good is point. Warren so, Buffett's advice is in. Obviously he doesn't do that because mm-hmm. he's had like crazy outweighed returns from really, really digging in and knowing everything. But he spends like every week of the year just reading up on companies and things and makes very few actual active decisions but they're really huge and he knows exactly what he's doing mm-hmm. but his advice to anyone else is like you're not going to spend as much time as me doing this just own index funds yeah exactly so the book makes a so differentiates between the defensive investor and the enterprising investor and so he says that the majority of people should be defensive investor if you're not willing to spend a whole lot of time you know, looking at companies, understanding companies and businesses. And if you're not able to stomach market downswings, then you might be better off becoming a defensive investor. And so defensive investors, pretty simple. He says, aim for like a 50-50 split between stocks and bonds. So all the investable assets that you own, let's say that you have $100 to invest. He would say, probably say like, okay, you take one cash buffer of let's say $10 and the other 90, you split $45 you invest in the stock market, $45 you invest in the bond market, And then each year you just rebalance because overall, like when the stock market is very hot, it goes up very much up to the point where it gets too hot. And at that point, it's probably better to sell some stocks and make sure that you rebalance to have the, again, a 50, 50 split between stocks and bonds. And so that would be the best approach for the defensive investor, the one that either doesn't want to spend too much time or has trouble, you know, stomaching large swings in the market. Yep. And so the other type of investor that describes is enterprising one. And so that's what most of the book talks about. Let's say that you're willing one to spend some time, some effort, and also you can handle the downswings, right? Because one of the problems that I think a lot of people have is every moment of the day. And I think Sam, you're probably like you and I, we do this too with our investments mm, where definitely. like at least once a day we go check on how our investments are doing. And that is actually a very counterproductive approach because that brings emotion into the game. You get either a good feeling or a bad feeling mm. um, and it's never a good thing. And yeah, I really notice of if you're looking at um, the prices of things, if you have it on like the, the 10 minute sort of ticker timeline, like it's just nuts. Like you feel like, oh my God, mm. <laughs> it's going down. Ah. <laughs> Whereas if you put it to like, the week changes or like the month changes you're like oh it's fine mm. and you're just sort of much yeah. more rational about these things and you're like oh cool it's going to go up by like 10 and 20 percent and down by 10 and 20 percent in any given month and it's okay but if you're looking at like the minute candle or something then yeah your brain's just like shit <laughs> must yeah. sell must buy oh god yeah which is why warren buffett said that almost everyone would be a better investor if they had like a punch card where they could write let's say 10 names on mm. and those 10 names were the only companies they could invest in for the rest of their lives. And mm. so he says that if more investors would take that approach, they would be wildly more successful than they are when they're doing right now, where they're looking at a hundred stocks and getting out and in of different stocks uh, on the whim, you know, when the price goes up and the price goes down. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Been learning about as well, <laughs> just by doing <laughs> things of like, and yeah, in the normal market and on crypto, because you just, you end up having like multiple things like why am I trying to like work out what's going on with all these different ones and if you just have like five or ten it's manageable um, yeah maybe you don't even need yeah. that many especially mm-hmm. if you don't have a lot so I mean certainly a lot of people like like investing in Tesla and things but it definitely gets overvalued often and then it's like it's had a big crash and then 
where it's not so bad and it's going up again and things. And if you actually sort of bother to look into the fundamentals of it, you can kind of tell when it's being stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so one of the things he says is that the market overreacts to price changes in the short term. And so that is something that a value investor should avoid. And so in short term, so for example, one of the better deals I made in my life, especially in the stock market, was buying Facebook after Mark Zuckerberg had to come before Congress or whatever. Mm. Um, it was on trial for, I think, the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Yeah. And so I realized that like, a lot of people became scared, but it didn't change the fact that People would still, you know, spend time on Facebook and on Instagram and on WhatsApp. And it also didn't fundamentally change the opportunity for Facebook to earn money at all, mm. right? I mean, let's say that because of that scandal, Facebook was not able to be get paid to influence people with, like, for political means, right? Yeah. That is a tiny fraction of the amount of money that Facebook makes. So if that would be the outcome, still, it wouldn't change much in, in the total money that Facebook could make in the future. However, the market reacted super bad, like the, the price like went, uh, lost half, I think, of its value at that point. And these are, I think, moments where there a lot of good deals can be made, mm. uh, where the market overreacts and puts a solid stock on sale, basically. Yeah, and so definitely. that's what Benjamin Graham talks about when he says that you should just consider the fundamentals of the business and nothing else when determining whether it's a good buy or stock to invest in or not. Mm. And like similarly... During coronavirus, when all the uh, airlines were tanking and they went down mm. by like sort of crazy amounts of percentage, and yeah, they were all up like two hundred percent since they bottomed out and stuff, and mm-hmm. that's done done pretty well. And well, mm-hmm. loads of different companies just had like a funny time, which yeah, yeah, it's a confusing period, but ultimately people still want to go and do stuff, and if not even more so after like not being able to for a while, and some of the business flights and things have changed, but. There's some good businesses going going cheaply. Yeah, exactly. In the end, if you now look back at March 2020 and imagine, you know, at that point, having the balls to invest in these kinds of kind of stocks mm. would have been great in retrospect, obviously. Always easy. One of the more fundamental points that are being made is the difference between stock price and stock value. And so Warren Buffett, for example, his approach to investing is the following. So he hears about a name, about a company. And what he does then is he gets all information about that company. So he gets like the annual reports, the investor, like shareholder communication, all the filings that they had. And he tries to get like make an evaluation of the company on the basis of that. So basically using the information that's public about like past earnings, past sales, growth prospects from the company, you know, letters of the leadership to the shareholders. He tries to like decide on a value that he will be willing to pay for that stock. And only after he has decided on that, is he looking at the actual stock price of that company. And that is actually like the opposite of what mm, almost all of us are nice. doing, right? And, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I made this mistake too, right? I'm looking at a stock and I'm seeing it going up and I'm like, mm, is this a buy? And then I would like try and figure out, like I use anchoring quite a lot. I'm like, oh, this stock used to be 500 and now it's 300, so it must be cheap. Although that's absolutely not the case and I should be doing some more, you know, really diligent research before I, I decide whether a stock is cheap or not. But mm. basically what Warren Buffett does is he calculates what he would be willing to pay for the stock and then looks at what price he can buy the stock. And if there's a large enough margin of safety between the two, then he considers investing in that company. And so basically, so he does, what he does is he looks at, okay, I think the value of this stock is, let's say $100 per share. And if he then looked at, and if it's trading at, let's say uh, 70 or cheaper, then he would buy the stock. 
And because he says that over the long term, and that's, well, actually, that's not Warren Buffett, but as Benjamin Graham says, at the long term, the stock market is a weighing machine and the price and the value of a stock converge. And on the short term, there can be wide disparities. Yeah, exactly. Quick question for you, Sam. Sure. Would Benjamin Graham invest in Tesla? Probably not right now. It's based on the fact they have a super powerful brand and have some really big ambitious goals, but there's lots of potential competition from all the other car makers. So it's not like a given that it's going to be the value that people think it's going to go to. And it's certainly not trading at its current value as a company because it's, yeah, it's mm -hmm. worth like more than like the three other biggest car makers combined or something stupid like that. I don't quote that fact, but like it's, <laughs> it's definitely outweighed considering the fact that they've got not that many manufacturing plants, not that many sales each year. They're not making a huge profit. Well, mm -hmm. often they're not making a profit. Last time they, they made a profit because they invested in Bitcoin and sold at the right time, which is not really their fundamental strategy and things. So, I mean, the brand is amazing. And like, if Elon Musk can manipulate the markets anyway, just from his presence, that's another thing that's kind of hard to like weigh in exactly. But you never know if he actually gets sort of fired completely from being chairman and stuff. It's a, it's a risky one. It's clear that you didn't listen to the whole book, Sam. So. Yeah, because Benjamin Graham would never, ever even consider. Oh yeah, I was talking more in general, in but yeah, it's, in, it's, it's uh, okay. massively overpriced basis. Yeah, it's fundamental, exactly. so he wouldn't. <laughs> on that sense, yeah, and that's why you hear like lots of like smart investors like shorting Tesla all the time, and then like all the kids just yeah. keep buying it. Yeah, I think today Mr. Market is even more there. You know, there's like so much irrationality going on, and there's so much hype, and at some point, there has to be a moment where the things return to the mean. You know, and, and yeah. all the hype stocks like. I know AMC and GameStop and all these companies will, you know, phase their reckoning. And I think this might happen when, you know, the kids get bored, you know, because it's only mm. been six or maybe eight months since the whole GameStop when the Reddit's degenerate investors started or came onto the market and made themselves known. At some point, I think they'll get bored and, and things will change. But the reason, so one of the main reasons why Benjamin Graham would not invest in a company like Tesla or even GameStop or like most of the biggest companies in the world, like Amazon, is that, so basically he makes a differentiation between investments and speculations. And so an investments is something that protects the principle and provides an adequate return. That means that you invest in a company which is like has a healthy balance sheet. Protecting the principle means that the company has a very, very, very low chance of going bankrupt. So question to you, Sam, what is the main reasons why companies go bankrupt? They have more outgoings than they have coming in so in startups it's like the founders fall out or they don't raise investment or they don't get product market fit big companies they fail to adapt to the market and they just keep trying to make money the way they were making money before is my general understanding but i feel like there's somewhere in this book something that i should have read and i haven't read so mm. you can you can inform me hence why we're doing this that's going to be <laughs> so great <laughs> so one of the main reasons, the most important reasons, especially when we're talking about these huge companies, is that they have too much debt, right? And that's why, you know, your debt ratio compared to your assets ratio is so important. Companies that don't have any debt can go a very long time. Like they only need to keep a positive cash flow balance, which is actually not that difficult for a lot of big companies. But the moment you have a lot of debt, that things become like you have to make a lot of money in order to pay off your debts. Um, and that's where things get dangerous. So Benjamin Graham says that if you're investing, choosing companies that you know 
are not at risk or you're fairly certain that they're not at risk of going bankrupt because they don't have a lot of debt. So that's one point. Are they financially healthy, basically? And so that's like, because there's two points, right? Investment is going to protect the principal. So that's one. Basically, it says the company is, you know, financially healthy. And the next is it provides an adequate return. Because, for example, I think Tesla doesn't have too much debt. A company like Amazon doesn't have too much debt. But the price that you pay for the return that you get right now is insane. So there's a concept called the PE uh, multiple. It's the price earnings multiple. And basically it divides the price of the stock by the earnings per share. So the amount of profit that the company makes per share. And so then you get a number. And so that number can be 10. It could be 20. It could be 30, but it could also be 500. And so to give you an illustration, I think for Tesla, the price earnings ratio is like 600 or something. So it only makes a billion a year in profit, but it is valued at 600 billion, which means that if it keeps up the returns or the profit that it has today, it would take 600 years for your investment to pay itself back. And so that is something that Benjamin Graham would never invest in. So basically, if you're investing in Tesla, you're speculating that they will be able to grow their earnings significantly in the future. And at that point, you're not investing anymore, right? You're speculating, you're thinking that that will happen because there's a lot of unknowns. However, if you invest in like a very boring company, like a company that, I don't know, produces steel, let's say, you'll see that those companies have a price earnings ratio of, I don't know, 12 or 10 to 15 or something. And and you'll know that those investments will not, you know, or those returns or earnings will not go up or down too much. They remain relatively stable. And you know that over 10 to 15 years, you'll earn your money back. So you'll have, let's say, a 5 to 10% return on your investment every year. And that is what he considers an investment, as opposed to something like investing in Tesla or a company that still has to grow so much before becoming like a good investment, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And so basically this, like this brings us down, like very generally, if you talk to stock investors today, there's like very generally two camps. There's the value investors and there's the growth investors mm. and so value investors they look for cheap companies to buy and cheap companies are usually boring companies like not very interesting companies and growth investors they invest in companies that will change the world and that have a chance to you know 100x their earnings and they will be willing to pay huge price earnings multiples to invest early and to see them grow into their valuation basically yeah and that's certainly investing in startups and things as well before they get onto the stock market is 100% the uh, growth investment. It's not investing, side. basically. Yeah. According to Benjamin Game, yeah, it's yeah, not he, investing. So he wouldn't be doing that at all. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. So does Warren Buffett do much of that? Because I feel like he does not do things all. before. Yeah, interesting. No, I think he's like most out of character investments. It's mm. probably Apple. Yeah. So Apple was like his most, like, because he, I think, is his only tech investment. Wow. Like he would rather invest in very stable companies like airlines. He likes financials. He has a lot of financials mm. companies that have steadily grown their profits, you know, by two, three, maybe up to 10% a year. Not too much variation, not too many risks. Yeah. Uh, that's what he, what he really he likes. He does not like Bitcoin. That's for sure. He does not like Bitcoin. And so I'll tell you why. So I think the problem is that remember our talk from two episodes ago where I tried to make a case of how, you know, storing wealth or storing the value that you've created um yeah. there's different ways to store it you can store it in cash and you'll know that it's going to be super liquid but it's going to devalue over time you could store it in real estate for example which might give you a return you can also store it in stocks or in bonds 
And then finally, well, there's lots of places to store it, but you can also store it in Bitcoin. And so the problem is that he looks at Bitcoin and he compares it to a stock investment, mm. right? Yeah, he compares it like it doesn't make any return and it does not make any like Bitcoin doesn't give you a steady return. It is by definition speculative. But the problem is that he considers it as a replacement for stocks, while he should consider it as a replacement for dollars. And mm. so Warren Buffett and his company, Berkshire Hathaway, they have like 100 or 200 billion dollars, like literally in cash on their balance sheet. Like if he would consider Bitcoin as a solution for that problem, as in he knows that every day that he doesn't use his cash to buy an asset, it's losing money, he's losing value for shareholders. And that is because dollars are inflationary by nature. If he would compare Bitcoin to that, I think it would probably make a lot more sense than it does right now when he compares it to stocks. Yeah. Anyway. So you're saying that he's being silly. No, I mean, if you take his frame of mind and if you mm. compare Bitcoin to, like, as a value investor, if you compare Bitcoin to a stock, then it doesn't make any sense, right? The way he looks at it is not correct for me. And I think, like, the guy is almost 90 and I can't expect him to mm. understand that this might, like, be something that changes, you know, the, the way investing is being done, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I understand why he says it. I disagree, but I'm not concerned. Let's put it that way. Like if Warren Buffett says that Bitcoin is bad, I'm not very concerned. However, Nassim Taleb says that Bitcoin is bad. That makes me a bit more concerned. Hmm. It doesn't make me super concerned, but it makes me a bit more concerned. Yeah, definitely. But maybe let's keep the Bitcoin discussion for... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. For something more... Yeah, when we read Bitcoin. something on Bitcoin, right? So we can, we can go deep in that. Mm. So basically, if, if we quickly go back to my whole presentation in, in the first episode in this series on investing, where I laid out that if you go to work, you basically provide value and you get rewarded for providing value in stored value and that stored value you get paid in dollars or euros or wherever you live you get paid in money right and money is the default store of value and then what benjamin graham says is that if for the long term if you want to invest if you want to allocate that stored value in a good way you should do it in stocks and bonds and so that's what his, his book is about. In his book, either if you're an enterprising investor, it helps you choosing the correct stocks to invest in and also the correct bonds to invest in. If you're a defensive investor, he says, okay, you should split it up over stocks and bonds and then change or rebalance every year based on your feelings, but also on just the weights that it changed to. Mm, nice. What else stood out to you from what you've learned or read? Or uh, So I like the general framework of the reason for investing is that inflation will erode your wealth if you just have it in like a normal bank account because mm -hmm. everything is always going up in value. So if you mm -hmm. only have dollars, that's the problem. But that to be an intelligent investor, you just need to be patient and disciplined and sort of override your emotions. And that's why he sort of says just go with index funds and don't think about it. And if mm. you allocate an amount of your wages going to index funds every month and don't think about the market at all you're basically gonna do better than 90 percent of people but mm. um you kind of put you off like doing normal and like investing in stocks but says that you should pretend to invest in them for like a year and actually should have try and be intelligent about it prepare yourself say what you'd have invested in see if you actually get any returns or if you do worse or better than the market before you actually start playing with your real money because you have much less risk by investing in index funds before you practiced it first, mm -hmm. which is a thing that yeah, some people sure. do. There's a lot, a lot of apps for doing that. I did that yeah. myself for a bit, but um, 
it's easy to do that and see a few things that go well and be like, cool, great. <laughs> and then get excited and be a bit annoyed that you didn't get those returns in real life mm-hmm. or they go wrong and you're like, oh, well, now I know why it went wrong and you do stuff. And so I like investing a little bit in stocks just to remind myself how bad I am at it. And sometimes it goes mm-hmm. right, sometimes not. It's nice. And then otherwise, yeah, more of the index funds and um, mm-hmm. it works much better. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah same. Yeah, for me, I'm, um, I have a very large personal allocation to index funds, a bit to real estate as well. And then I play around. Well, actually, now I also have a very large allocation to cryptocurrencies just because they increase in value so much. But I try to, you know, keep a smaller part of my personal assets as like personal decision investment money. And still keep the majority in something that, you know, tracks the general market. Because, you know, I might be very bad at this and lose all my money. And cryptocurrencies might, you know, be the fat that so many people think they are and, you know, go to zero. So um, just if that would be the case, I'm still good with my general stock market index fund investments. Good. Please hear that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should quickly talk about, you know, determining value, right? Because I talked about, he says that basically you should determine the value of a stock and then compare it to the price of the stock at that moment. And so determining the value of the stock, that's where I think things get interesting or things might be different from his time to our time, I feel personally. Mm. And so he says that you should take into account so long-term growth prospects, which makes sense, right? If you invest in a company and you know that it's in like a highly growing market, for example, this might be a wrong example, right? But I feel personally that VR virtual reality has a lot of potential still. Like I think more and more people will have VR headsets. And so if you're a company that operates in the VR market and is one of the few players, because it's still so small, like your company has potentially large long-term growth prospects, right? And so that's that's one thing to keep in mind when analyzing a company. Quality of management is very important because Mm. if the company is great in a great market, but quality of management is absolutely shit and they take all the wrong decisions then you're gonna have a bad time so that's also very important and that's why he says that you should always read the annual like shareholder letters because that tells you quite a lot about them and about how they think about the future etc and then also the third thing to keep in mind is the financial strength and capital structure and that's what we touched upon earlier where if a company has too much debt it becomes a risky investment and it could potentially go bankrupt and lose you all your money right and so that's why you should invest in financially strong companies who have not a lot of debt and don't have a lot of trouble. Like if you invest in a company without debt, that makes money that, that has a positive cash flow. You can be relatively sure that it won't go bankrupt, right? And so that's the type of companies or the types of balance sheets, at least that you should look for or invest in. And don't take risks. Don't go for companies that are flirting with the edge of being going bankrupt or, or being cash flow negative when they have to pay, the, pay off their debts because that is a road that leads to disaster in the end. Although there can be made, like you can make a lot of money there, but that's like, he's very safe about all that stuff. Mm. And then the last two points that he thinks are important to determine value is the dividend record and the current dividend rate. So the above three points, so the long-term growth prospects, the quality of management and the financial strength are still super relevant today. But I think the dividend record and the current dividend rates might be up for debate in today's day and age. What are your opinions on that? Yeah, I think there was a lot more dividends back then compared to now, as in there's still lots of companies that pay good dividends. And certainly yeah. in my, my free trade account, I get a good amount of updates on them. But there are quite a few that don't, that are more focused on growth. So maybe it's still relevant for his style of investing. If you're not investing in growth companies, you're going more on value. Mm-hmm. But I 
wouldn't say that I've really looked in depth as an intelligent investor into all the different companies and uh, like mm. uh, rates. Certainly, a few of them I know do good dividends, but yeah. otherwise, I'm pretty naive in that area, to be honest. And mm-hmm. again, with bonds as well, I'm not like <laughs> stuff's sort of still a bit beyond me, which is why I'm kind of keen to read into the area more. Which you might maybe should have done before discussing it. Yeah, definitely. But you can, <laughs> you can give Sam. your opinions. <laughs> and I'll, uh, uh, yeah, so respond. basically, I look at it as following. Remember where I said that a company basically consists of a bunch of individuals and a bunch of resources that try to create more value than they have to pay out for these resources and individuals, right? A company, yeah. let's say you have a, have a t-shirt factory. I pay someone 10 euros a month and they produce... 20 euros worth of t-shirts and my t-shirt cloth that I use to make t-shirt costs five euros a month. I have five euros um, profit right at the end. Mm. And so that is the excess value that I created. And that's something that at the end of the year, a company needs to decide, okay, I made profits, right? I created more value than I used up. What am I going to do with this? And so basically there's two ways that companies can go at this. So the first would be to give it out to the owners of the company as a dividend. So let's say with my hypothetical t-shirt company, I make five euros at the end of a year, or let's say I make 60 euros, so five euros per month, I have 60 euros. I can give myself as a sole owner a dividend of 60 euros. What I could also do is use that 60 euros to buy another factory. So Mm -hmm. I reinvest it into the business. Suddenly I have two factories, I can employ two people, and I can suddenly, instead of making five euros a month, I can start making 10 euros a month, if that still makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like you can reinvest it in the company because you have a winning business model, right? You have a business where you're creating value. And if you see that the market is large enough for you to do more of that, that is a second approach. And so in my opinion, I think today technology is making it so that if companies can do a good job, like investing and creating value, I think I'm always happy for them to use the cash that they made and reinvest into the business to accelerate even more because things Mm. are going so fast these days. And I think companies that are running behind on investing or reinvesting will not survive over the long term. Definitely. Definitely makes sense. And if you look at like Amazon never did a dividend for, not sure if they even still do dividends at all, but yeah, they were always just investing in growth fully. And Mm -hmm. that's, kind of exactly. what you want these days because you are on like the global market especially with technology we can be across everything so there's a much bigger pool of resources you can get to to make money from whereas before maybe it was a bit more like okay this is a market that you're in this is it's a bit more capped on size yeah potentially amazon is a great example right mm. i think you know 10 years ago if you had asked amazon to invest or to give out let's say 50 percent of its earnings as dividends like it would never be the ginormous company as it is today yeah like there's a few things that make amazon or in general companies win a few of them is like you know efficiency it is scale and i think if you're forcing them to give out all the money that they make then you're gonna stop their growth and i think they might lose out against competitors who are able to reinvest all of the money instead of having to give it out as dividends that being said Right now, we're talking about companies with like a lot of growth prospects. Remember the steel mm. manufacturing company that I talked about, the boring one, that doesn't have a lot of growth prospects? I think in that case, requiring dividends is important or makes a lot of sense, basically. Yeah, definitely. 
which does make you wonder like why um sort of certainly you know, some of the car manufacturers do pay dividends and things and yeah would like to look a bit more of the other ones that do give like regular dividends and things like oil companies and stuff and sort of see what their like, actual plans are to kind of grow beyond what their current business does or transition yeah yeah because Amazon yep. as well as like growing in the channels that they're in we're always just innovating on different things as well so they you know like making the Kindle but also tried making like the Amazon phone and things that completely failed and then like Alexa mm-hmm. worked well but then they did like the smart watch clone thing that completely failed but they're always sort of pushing the boundaries and sort of all their profits goes into the trying to find new markets and grow which yeah if a company is just paying dividends and going cool we own this market does like actually kind of worry you a lot mm-hmm. do you know the four most dangerous words in investing mm, no no this time it's different yes yes and I so <laughs> i just want to caveat our whole the discussion that we just had like i think Sam, you and I are we're both influenced by current market conditions and the fact that growth companies have been doing way better than value companies. And mm. we are now subscribing to the thought of this time is different. You know, technology is now yeah. taking over. And if companies are not investing in technology, they're not going to be around in 20 years. And so I just want to caveat like everything we're saying, which is, by the way, not financial advice. And I just want to tell you that we could be wrong here. And I think a lot of very good investors have a very good track record at, you know, for example, Warren Buffett, like he lived through the dot-com bubble, right? That's 21 years ago. In the year 2000, there was the dot-com bubble. He didn't touch internet stocks. At that time, everyone was thinking like the internet, you know, it's the future, you know, websites is everything. And in the end, it's super important. But he made a shit ton of money by just keeping investing in these boring companies that have nothing to do with internet. And he had some amazing returns there. So it could be that all the growth hyping that we're doing now is priced into the stocks and the best buys or the best investments are actually still in companies that are extremely boring and have no technology and have dividends, etc. My stomach's being weird today. Um, yes, <laughs> agreed. My stomach doesn't agree with you, but uh, I do. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But there's still areas where like AI can help and things. So I mean, Coca-Cola, it's all like physical goods and stuff, but they can still be increasing their supply chain and cutting costs and things but are they going I don't think they're not doing brand? that yeah yeah but um yeah I see I think Coca-Cola is one of the like best investments that uh, Warren Buffett made mm, definitely yeah. all right let's uh maybe because I I don't have any general more points so maybe like as a quick summary like the intelligent investor it's a book about rational investing right so basically what you do is you try to find like either for most people become a defensive investor and just invest in the market don't try and pick stocks and if you do pick stocks, just do it with a tiny fraction of your invincible assets. If you want to pick stocks, try to figure out the value of companies and buy them when they're cheap. Yeah. If you buy them when they're cheap in the long run, you're going to do great because in the end, the value and the price will always at some point cross. That's very simple. Like he says, like buy $1 worth of assets with 50 cents. If you do that the whole time, you're going to make a lot of money and also diversify make sure you don't invest in only one company which you deem expen or cheap make sure you you have at least 10 uh, that you invest in so um if you're wrong that like it still doesn't lose you all your money mm. and uh well i was gonna say one thing was he does talk about like an intelligent investor would dread a bull market as the market's going up because it makes stocks more costly to buy mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. conversely like you should really be happy about bear markets because so that's when everything's going down and stocks are on sale mm-hmm. so like Warren mm-hmm. Buffett I think he had like 
I can't remember, a ridiculous amount of his actual um, assets were in cash at the point of like the um, crash over like COVID-19 kind of things. And like he didn't even buy straight mm-hmm. away because he was like, oh, there's other things coming and stuff. And then like made some crazy returns because of that. And mm. certainly like tech is just keeps on booming. And it is just sort of like, mm. <laughs> it's kind of, it does put me off a lot, but you also just get FOMO because it just keeps on going up. And you're like, well, I'm not making money if I'm not investing in it. But it is, does seem kind of worrying, which I definitely struggle with around. Hmm. Am I being intelligent? Am I just confused? What's going on? And yeah, don't know when the bear market's yeah. coming, but it would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, same. Because we're still young and we're hopefully still earning money um, in the future as well so we can invest more. Mm. All right. Let's, um, yeah, let's do ratings. What's your rating, Sam? And would you recommend it to people? Um, I probably wouldn't recommend it to the average person. I would say like read the summary unless you're like really, really getting into investing and then you're going to be doing a lot of it. Then yeah, it's definitely a worthwhile read for someone that actually really wants to pick and choose their own stocks then. Hmm. But as it sort of says, most people shouldn't be doing that anyway. Uh, and if you, someone that's yep. just like realized you've got like a bit more extra money to invest because of your salary, like it's just do the sensible side of things would probably be my recommendation. I, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to like quit your job and just become a full-time investor, perfect. Or if this is like what you're kind of doing full-time or if you just really enjoy it actually, mm-hmm. like I think both of us enjoy investing and it's nice as a mm-hmm. hobby. And so it does make sense. Good. So all of the options there, uh, <laughs> very indecisive statement. I would not heartily recommend it is what I'm saying, basically. And I would therefore give it a five. Warren Buffett right. would be like cool. shocked. But hey oh. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so for me, I think I would only recommend it, as you said, to people who are actually interested in investing. And I think one of the reasons I'm always interested in investing is because it, it makes you think of the world, I guess. Like, Because mm. in the end, like, if you're a good investor, it means you understand the world of business, the world of capitalism. And that's something I, I aspire to do, you know, really, really understand it. And that's why I think I'm, I'm always so down to to learn more about investing. And so uh, I think this book, it's the most must read if you're interested in investing, just because it's like the basis. And I think it's a healthy reminder, you know, once in a while when things go too hot and too spicy. And I think today is actually that time, like for me reading this book, it put my feet on the ground a bit more again, where like, you know, don't be concerned that you're not invested in Tesla. It's too expensive. And you know, you might be wrong, like it might still go up and it might be worth its price, mm. uh, but the risk reward there is too high. And so I think for me in general, I think it's a must read for every, anyone interested in investing, but not at all for the average person. So I'm just going to like, yeah, I want to give it higher than you gave. So I'm just going to go for six. <laughs> but anyway, so basically if you're investing, you're being tied stock, to the um, uh, numbers you're seeing again. <laughs> well, I'm like, anchoring. Yeah, yeah anchoring. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Anyway, so, uh, so yes, I anchor to Sam. But that's fine. As I do sometimes anchor to stock prices. So, um, yeah, but I think it's, uh, this is, yeah, it's a good book. And, but in general, most people would probably be better off reading indeed a summary. Don't have to go, you know, too deep in it. Mm. All right, cool. That's it. So for next week, Sam doesn't know this yet, but uh, we're talking Bitcoin. I'm already reading The Bitcoin Standard, a book by Saifedean Anus or something, which is a fantastic book. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about Bitcoin and we might touch upon, you know, how wrong Warren Buffett is in, mm. you know, not buying Bitcoin um, and how stupid he is for keeping so much dollars on his balance sheet because that doesn't make any sense and it's only losing him. 
Yeah. Know, losing what a silly man. Yeah. <laughs> what a silly man. He doesn't know anything, you know. This guy. This is a new time. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Right. So, um, dear listener, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, leave us a like. Join us in reason.com. No, reason.fm, I mean. And uh, yeah, speak to you in the next episode. Cheers. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.